batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Ready to move off. Always try to like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 70s and 80s, and you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now your hosts, Jeremy and Jeff. One half teaspoon for fast, effective relief. It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy. Uh, again, doing this solo, I wanted to do a quick uh, update right before the holidays. And and first off and foremost, let me wish all of you a very happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for listening to our first five episodes. And I think we're off to a pretty good start. We have a, a lot of plays, a lot of downloads. And more importantly, it's been a lot of fun for us. Hopefully <laughs> it's been fun for, for you all as well. But I wanted to do a quick episode. Uh, something came up. I mentioned a, an album uh, in the conversation that we had with John on the last episode, uh, an album by Riot. And I wanted to talk about that. Uh, so I just wanted to put together a, a, a quick little episode before Christmas hits us and talk about that and uh, answer a few emails. I want to thank again, John, who joined us. John hosts the Lair of the Alchemist channel on YouTube. And also he hosts the uh, Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. And I would highly recommend both of those. Check both of those out. He doesn't do just Sabbath. I mean, obviously the podca podcast focuses on Sabbath, but his channel does... Uh, deep dives into albums, all kinds of stuff. So you definitely want to check out what uh, what John has to offer. So really quick, let's talk about uh, some emails that we got over the last few weeks. Number one, it's super exciting to get emails. <laughs> that means at least someone's listening, right? Our email address is classicguitarrock at mail.com. Classicguitarrock at mail.com. If it's hate mail, write attention Jeff. And he handles all of that. But a couple emails here, an email from Blake. Blake actually emailed us right after the second episode. Uh, his email says, hey, thanks for addressing yes in the follow-up to the Family Tree episode. But unless I missed it, you never really tied them into Black Sabbath or Deep Purple. What's the connection? Love the podcast. Well, thank you, Blake. And you're right. When you said that, I said, well, yeah, I did. And then I went back and listened. And sure enough, I never did talk about how they connected to Black Sabbath. You know, I talked about the different bands linked to Yes, like GTR and Genesis and King Crimson and, and those sorts of things. But I never really made the connection back to Sabbath. The easiest way to make that connection, I'm sure there's another one, but without me looking it up, the easiest one is Cozy Powell. We know that... uh uh, John Wetton played with Carl Palmer. Carl Palmer was in Emerson Lake and Palmer. Emerson Lake and Palmer for a while was Emerson Lake and Powell because Carl Palmer was replaced by Cozy Powell. 
So we get kind of a, a little connection there through ELP. Greg Lake, who was in Emerson Lake and Palmer, also replaced John Wetton for a short time in Asia. There was a big, you guys might remember this, when Asia was super big at the top of their game, MTV had this big Asia in Asia concert, and it was a big deal. Well, right before that was to happen, John Wetton left. I don't know all the details. I'm going to dig into that. But he quit uh, for a short time, and they bring in Greg Lake uh, kind of at the last minute to fill in for uh, for John Wetton. A lot of people didn't even notice <laughs> that it wasn't John Wetton. Greg Lake actually did a, a phenomenal job on kind of a last-minute deal. But we got that connection thanks to Cozy Powell uh, with ELP uh, that Cozy Powell, of course, was in Rainbow and for a time was in uh, Black Sabbath. So we get the connection there. So that's one connection that you can connect, yes, to Black Sabbath. But great email. And and Blake, thanks for listening. Uh, another interesting uh, one that I just got, this is from a guy named Sabbath Head. And he says, thanks for the episode on Sabbath, the greatest rock band ever. <laughs> Uh, he says, I will definitely be checking out John's YouTube channel and his podcast. Then this is a very interesting question. Do you know anything about Jeff Feinholz's claim that he was in Sabbath? Now, this is an interesting one. For those of you that don't know, Jeff Feinholz is um, uh, kind of a televangelist. I don't, I don't even know if he's alive or around anymore, but he in the in the 80s, uh, maybe early nineties, he had his own program on the PT PTL praise the Lord network. He had, uh, and you'd see him speak. And, and to be honest, quite an interesting, compelling speaker. You know, he was not your typical televangelist. He had long hair. He'd play rock songs and, and all of this stuff. He played the role of Jesus in Jesus Christ superstar on Broadway. And he claims that he was in Black Sabbath, that he supposedly replaced Ozzy Osbourne. I guess this is before D. I don't I'm not sure when he claims all of this happened, but he says he was in uh, Black Sabbath. It's interesting because Tony Iommi says he wasn't. I believe if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, there is audio of him playing with Tony, remember that Seventh Star CD was supposed to be a, a solo album with Tony Iommi, so maybe he was part of that. I don't, I don't know all the details, uh, but yeah, that, there's a Jeff Feinholt claims that he was supposedly going to be in Black Sabbath and 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 even recorded some stuff with him, and I believe there is audio of him performing with with them, but Tony says he was never a member or doesn't it's kind of, I got to go back and check that out, but there's some, some two different stories there, but that's definitely something uh, worth looking into. So maybe that's maybe something I'll, I'll check out to see what the deal is with uh, Jeff Feinholz claim that he was actually in Sabbath for a while. I'll, I'll find that out. Uh, another one, and this is kind of a personal one here from a JK Ferrero Ferraro, Jeremy, you mentioned you were in radio in Oklahoma, where and when, maybe I've heard you. I started my radio career in 1986, 
in Lawton, Oklahoma. I worked for a top 40 station there called KRLG. Uh, I literally worked in the middle of a wheat field out at the edge of town. <laughs> Did that for a while. Uh, they changed formats to KKRX, which became more of an AOR uh, station and worked there for a while under that that format. I worked for another station in Lawton, Oklahoma called Magic 95. I did middays and afternoons there for a while and also was a morning news guy for a while. I then worked at another station across town, Q94 KQLI. This is all uh this is all late 80s early 90s, right? Uh did afternoons there for a year or so. Worked at a country station there. K-Law 101, Southwest Oklahoma. Got married in 91. My wife and I moved to Spokane, Washington in 92. I worked for Oldies 101.1, which is an oldies station here in Spokane. I did that uh, till about 1995. And I finally, I had to make more money. <laughs> and I, I got out of radio in, in uh, 95 and hadn't, haven't really been doing commercial radio since 95. But I worked uh, oldies formats, top 40 formats, country formats, classic rock and AOR uh, type formats. So, so basically for about, uh, almost 10 years, I worked in radio. So if you were around Southwest Oklahoma at, at that time, you might have heard me. I don't, I don't know. But thanks for the email. And then this is really the the reason for this episode today. Bolt 71 says, thanks for mentioning Riot and the Fire Down Under album. That album is criminally underrated, and I agree 110%. Criminally underrated, and that's why I wanted to talk about that today. So when we come back, let's talk about that great Riot album, Fire Down Under. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. I'm Jeremy, and you can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. Uh, we're talking about the band Riot, specifically the album Fire Down Under from 1981. Now, this is one of those bands that, depending on your history, depending on your age even, you maybe have never even heard of them or they may be super important to you. It, it's interesting how I'll talk to some people that, that talk about this album and how important it was. And, and actually in terms of power metal, thrash metal, Riot is an important player. Uh, actually their 1988 album, Thunder Steel 
It's kind of looked at as a uh, a pioneering album in terms of power metal, speed metal. What I'm talking about today is Fire Down Under, one of their earlier albums, their third album. And it's really different than Thundersteel and what has come out since Thundersteel. The stable thread, the continuous thread that runs through all of Riot's history is the late Mark Real. I think it's pronounced Reali, Mark Reali, who was the leader of the band, uh, the main uh, songwriter, guitar, lead guitarist, that sort of thing. He was really the, the, the brainchild, the driving force. He passed away in 2012 due to complications related to Crohn's disease. And that's something that he battled most of his adult life. Anyone that's familiar with Crohn's diseases, depending on severity, it, it can be a very serious condition. And so this was something he had struggled with throughout his whole adult life. Uh, I really want to focus mostly on Fire Down Under, but just a little background. Riot started out, uh, their first album was in 1977, and it was called Rock City. And it's a good album. It's a good album. And they were, now Now keep in mind, this is an American band. They're from, from New York. And at the time, there weren't a lot of American bands that you would have considered heavy metal but these guys had a unique sound a great sound uh mark's guitar playing their lead singer guy speranza was phenomenal he didn't sound like anyone else he had his own unique style at the time so rock city came out and uh they've got right out of the gate uh some notoriety they had uh opportunities to open for bands like acdc rush I think they even opened a few dates for Kiss. Their second album, Narita, came out in 1979. And at this point, they fell in with Sammy Hagar and actually opened for Sammy Hagar uh, on his Texas tour in the late 70s. And that went over really well. And apparently there was great chemistry between Sammy and Riot. And in fact, the record company asked Riot if they would uh, support Sammy in a tour of of the UK, which they did. And this was all promoting their Narita album, which again, it, it's a better, in my mind, it's better than rock city, uh, a great album. They did that. And then as soon as that tour was over, uh, capital just kind of dumped them and their managers, two guys named Billy Arnell and Steve Lobb, who owned green street recording, and they'd kind of been managing them since the since the beginning. They uh, they sound like they were pretty tenacious. They kind of started their own campaign, publicizing how great these guys were, getting them airplay, that sort of thing. And and Riot eventually got the opportunity to record another album, and this would be Fire Down Under. Now, what's interesting is when they completed the recording the record company didn't like it and they said well we're not gonna we're not gonna release this and again lob and arnell they go on this pr campaign in england this time because the band had, had done very well with sammy in england and and they you know are picketing outside emi they're doing all kinds of stuff to get some some notice for this album and finally it was re released and it hit the Billboard 200 chart. I don't know how how high it charted, 
but there was some success there. Let me just say the fire down under record is an excellent album. It's, it's probably in my top five of favorite albums. Okay. And yet most people have never heard it or heard of it, but you've maybe heard swords and tequila you know, that was, if you could say there was a hit, I mean, there obviously there wasn't really a hit off the album, but swords and tequila song called, uh, outlaw altar of the King. I mean, it's just a really good album. And, and what worked for them, even though they're an American band, they kind of were lumped in with new, this new wave of British heavy metal that was happening in 79, 80. And that kind of got them, you know, the chance to, to record it and then kind of go out and tour with some of these bands that were touring at the time. So at the same time, you know, Iron Maiden is opening for bigger bands and Def Leppard is opening for bigger bands. Riot's kind of doing the same thing. Now, if it's such a great album, why have we never heard of them? Because I'll tell you, it it's a phenomenal album. If you've never heard it, your homework assignment is go out and listen to this album. You can stream it and hear it. It's just a great early. I think of it as a classic metal album. It's really, really good. The guitar playing's great. The singing's great. Just high energy. It's got kind of a raw feel. I mean, it's not overproduced. It's not slick by any means, but it just sounds really good. I think you really like it. Check it out. But there's a couple things going on here. And we like to think these things don't really matter, but they do. Their album covers are really stupid. Okay. They've, they've somewhere along the line, someone decided, I know, let's use a baby seal as our mascot. <laughs> so every album has this stupid baby seal head on like a man's body. So imagine what kind of marketing genius came up with that. So all of these albums on the Narita album, you know, there's like a, a, a samurai guy with a baby seal's head holding a sword on the front on fire down under. You got, I don't know, like someone wearing like this white robe with a baby seal head. So if I'm in a record store and I see that, I don't want to buy that album. It's dumb, right? So <laughs> that's a little off putting, right? And then another thing happened right after fire down under, Guy Speranza left the band and Guy Speranza is really good. I mean, uh, in my mind, he's probably the reason I, I like this album so much. I mean, the guitar playing is great. Don't get me wrong, but I just love Guy's singing. He left the band and apparently he he was a fairly religious guy and it, he had some some problems squaring his religious viewpoints with the, you know, touring and, and that sort of thing. And so he left the band and that left them without a singer. So that's a, uh, another problem on top of their stupid album covers, right? <laughs> and not much support from the label, right? Then Guy Speranza, who is a great singer, he leaves. They bring in Rhett Forrester for the follow-up album. There's an, an album that came out in 1982. So this is the follow-up to Fire Down Under called Restless Breed which features Rhett Forrester. It's okay. It's not a bad album at all. There's an album after that in 1983 called Born in America. And I actually really like that album. Uh, it's not as good as Fire Down Under, but it's a, it's a good album. I like it better than Restless Breed. Again, that features 
Rhett Forrester. Well, think about what's going on in 1983 when Born in America comes out. There's another band who's knocking it out of the park called Quiet Riot. So we've got this band Riot. They've got an album out, but then we've got Quiet Riot, who is all of a sudden the the darling. They've got a number one album, which is a heavy metal album. This is at the same time that Riot's trying to sell Born in America. So they they even had to put stickers on the albums to to let people know, well, no, this is not Quiet Riot. This is Riot. This is a different band because <laughs> there was some confusion there. In my mind, I wouldn't have said a thing. If someone thought this was a Quiet Riot album they were buying, so be it. But they didn't. They took the high road, right? So they put stickers on to distinguish themselves from Quiet Riot. So there's that, that confusion going on. And then Rhett Forrester, he had some issues, okay? His behavior was erratic. He drank too much, you know, kind of a common theme in rock circles, right? Not the first time we heard of that. And he just wasn't as strong, I think, as Guy Speranza was. Now, from everything I hear, uh, Rhett was supposedly a better showman, you know, was a little more comfortable in the spotlight than Guy Speranza was. But Guy Speranza was a much better singer in my mind. But anyways, Rhett Forrester has passed away. Guy Speranza has passed away. Louis Covardis, who was actually one of the early guitarists in the band, he passed away in 2020 due to COVID-19, in fact. Uh, I mentioned Mark Reale passed away. So many of the founding members or original members or classic members, they, they are no longer with us. And Riot is now called Riot 5. Uh, what happened is many of the players that have kind of been in and out of the band after Mark Reale died... They continue to forge on, and to this day, they still play and perform, and they still sound pretty good. Here's my problem, and you can go like and, and see a, a Wacken, a live performance at Wacken of Riot 5, and they're a great band. Their singer's phenomenal, but much of what they do now is post-Thundersteel, so it's, it's power metal, it's thrash metal, it's really fast and moving, and not that there's anything wrong with that. But my my particular preference is the early stuff with Guy Speranza before they became a speed metal band, right? Uh, and they only do one or two songs from that era when you see them live. The rest is all the more modern, really fast, really heavy stuff, which, again, they're great at it. But that's not why I like uh, Riot. There are a few old, old, the quality is not great, but some old live videos of them on YouTube with Guy Speranza and it's it's good stuff. So I'd encourage you to check that out. I would encourage you to listen to Fire Down Under. Uh, it's just a great album. So, hey, just kind of a short and sweet episode today. I want to wish you all a happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And thank you so much for listening. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com and we're now streaming on all the major platforms so make sure you listen and like and subscribe and share and follow <laughs> we really appreciate it and we'll see you on the next episode of the classic guitar rock podcast thanks for listening to the classic guitar rock podcast please like subscribe and share you can email us at classic guitar rock at mail.com We'll see you for the next episode 
of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.